know, with a song like that, you don't know if you're supposed to applaud or say, oh, me. Thank you, Brittany. That's one really nice feature of um, having Brittany at home. And as many of you know, she's going to be, she has gainful employment in North Georgia. Of course, that means a raise for us. <laughs> but uh, you are worth more than 128 camels, 50 goats, and two villas on the Dead Sea. Today is uh, a, con- a continuation of the texts. Last week, we talked about words matter and how words crush the hearts of other people when we are unthinking in what we say, both in doctrinal and theological terms, both in relationships. uh, And uh, today we're going to carry that thought uh, on. Uh, Paul is specifically talking to a young pastor and he's telling him, you need to flee from certain things and you need to pursue other things And one reason, and some of us may think, okay, Neil, this is to you, and this is to Adam, and this is to other pastors. Uh, Listen, this is something that I believe to be true. The demeanor and the temperament and the attitude and the spirit of the church starts with its leadership. And though there is a responsibility upon us to listen As pastors, this is to be pervasive throughout the whole congregation. Because if we ignore these words today, we will violate the very spirit of Christ. Paul said in Philippians, have this mind or this attitude that was also in Christ Jesus. And then the rest of that is about his humble attitude in being obedient to Christ. So that's the introductory remarks. Let's stand as I read these verses from 2 Timothy 2, starting with verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And let's always remember that the power is in God's word. Thank you. You may be seated. In this passage today, we are looking at seven or eight directives from an older minister to a younger minister that leads us to Christ's likeness. These directives are in stark contrast to the 
climate in our social arena. More and more are making their views known through loud and disruptive means. And as we look at today's text, we need to remind ourselves not to be like the world in our temperament. Not to be like the world in our words. And not be like the world in our actions. So here are those seven or eight. This is kind of like a table of contents of what we're going to cover today. We're going to move quickly. Uh, Number one, flee youthful passions or tendencies or desires. Number two, pursue righteousness. Three, refuse foolish and arrogant or ignorant speculations. Four, don't be quarrelsome. Five, be kind to all. Six, cultivate the practical ability to teach. Seven, be patient when wronged. And lastly, we are to... um, With gentleness, correct those with whom we have opposing views. The immediate context is from one pastor to another. Timothy is young and he's facing those who oppose the truth and are teaching false doctrine. But they're not only doing that, they're stirring up people. And whenever you see those whom you love stirred up, you want to come to their defense. And we have a tendency with great passion to intervene. I have been guilty of this. We become, when we do that, we become headstrong. We uh, begin to show partiality. We quit hearing people. We become quick tempered, and we assert ourselves. Now, this youthful passions is a lot more than what some of us originally think that has to do with sexual lust. This is a very broad uh, application and directive. Every young person, sooner or later, is going to be tempted with our natural biological processes, and they get stronger. But while Paul includes that, he is not limiting his understanding and application of youthful passions to simply biological issues. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man... Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Now we know from Hebrews that even Jesus was tempted in every respect that we are. And I remember a quote and I couldn't, re- I couldn't remember uh, who, who did it at first. And so, of course, I Googled, you know, just like a lot of us do. And this quote came up over and over and over again from an Indian writer uh, from India. 
But I knew that it was older than that. But Google wouldn't let me go back to where it should have been because, as you know, they have reasons to not let you search the truth. So I went to, and you may not know this, DuckDuckGo. They don't filter things like Google does. So I got back as far as I could. This is a saying by Martin Luther. While I cannot prevent birds from flying over my head, I can prevent them from making a nest in my hair. Evil thoughts are going to present themselves to us all the time. But we can decide if we're going to let those evil thoughts and temptations nest in our hair and thus become sin. Science tells us that our bodies are chemical factories and our brains are a part of that chemical factory. And what we do on a regular basis as a habit produces chemicals that makes our brains like it. And that becomes the new normal. That is where addiction comes in. In my 20s, I was a runner. I loved to run. I loved the feeling of just almost feel like I was just flying i could feel i couldn't feel the pressure on my feet and at some point after a mile and a half you would forget your heart at first you're just your heart's just beating that's all that you can think about you just want to quit but you know that there's a little wall and if you can get past that wall it becomes a joy to run and you don't like the end you don't want to just stop because your body then everything begins to change even the chemical makeup in your body and it just wants to keep going This is true with every type of addiction, whether it's psychological or chemical or physical. That includes sex, but it includes other passions. Romans 6 tells us this. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin that leads to death or obedience, which leads to righteousness. And what Paul is telling us is this, that if we begin to obey certain passions that are destructive in our lives, those passions will destroy us. And what we think is freedom is really no freedom at all. I was reading a great uh, blog of, about millennials by a millennial, and he was talking about being free from the sense of being free. Because we live in a culture where you're free to do anything that you want, but we're really a slave to wanting to do those things. But we do it in the name of freedom. And this Christian blogger was basically saying, only Christ can deliver us from this captivity that we call freedom. Job was a married man. He had ten children. And yet he wrote this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust upon a girl. David tells us this, 
I have thought much about your words, referring to God, and stored them in my heart so that they would hold me back from sin. This Greek word for passion means longing or desire. But the key word is youthful. Why? Because young adults haven't lived long enough to know how to control or manage those passions. We still have those passions. They burn inside. We don't forget when we get older. I mean, I re- the story of in seminary where these young men were asking this 80-year-old professor, when do you quit being tempted by looking at girls? And he said, I don't know, I'm just 80. But we need to make sure that we understand that temptation in and of itself is not sin. Jesus himself was tempted in all like manners as we. But he includes in this anger and impatience and impudence, a rebellious spirit, aggressive spirit, vanity, self-centeredness, self-will. These are all passions in us. We want them to come out. And as we get older, we learn to manage those. But younger adults, they have a harder time managing those things. They're not old enough to have been burned by their mistakes. When we get older, we learn a few things. And youth are vulnerable to making the same mistakes that we made. The question is, do we have to learn by our own mistakes? Or can we learn from others who have already been down that road? You know, from a minister's point of view, he is saying, Timothy, I know that you're teaching the truth, and I know that people are opposing you, and I know they're not living right. They argue and they try to use logic and big words and cultural experiences. I get it. I know that. But, Timothy, don't get angry. Don't yell. Don't berate them. Don't be impatient. Don't forget that we engage falsehood and sin in a different way, in a different manner, with a different demeanor. I want you to be calm and gentle. I want you to be kind. I want you to be solid as a rock. But don't boil over. There are many young adults who need to hear this because your passions can get the best of you. And this can be a lot of different things. My theological mentor, once I understood the truth of the gospel and my life was changed at seminary, I went around trying to convert preachers. And Dr. Barnard said, Neil, don't let your zeal be your undoing. We can't blame our... Temptations and passions on exterior motivations. They're internal. 
It's interesting that he didn't say stop and analyze and reflect about these passions. He said run, flee. This involves effort. It involves straining. It involves speed. The idea is that you flee. If you stay, you're in as much danger as if you go toward it. But you know, it's not enough just to talk about things that you should flee from. After all, if we talk about purple elephants, guess what you're going to be thinking about for the rest of the day? And if you hound on these things, guess what your young adults are going to be thinking about all day? The things that you hound on. We become like that which we focus on. Even if we're against something, if we're focusing on it, we'll become like it. That's the reason the Scriptures encourage us that we are to keep our eyes on Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because we become like that upon which we are focused. But it's not just enough to stop and flee. We've got to have something to go to, to pursue something positive. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who are called uh, on the Lord with a pure heart. Look, when you're young, you got all this energy. Your mind's going faster than our minds are going. The question is, what direction is your mind going? You may be quicker than some of us who are older. But that really isn't the issue, is it? We are to pursue those godly virtues with as much strain as you run from that which will destroy you. You can't play around with it. Notice he says, along with all who call on the uh, Lord from a pure heart. What is he saying? He's saying this, you can't do it alone. We need each other. We need accountability. We all need help, encouragement. We need to be around those who are examples. So many young adults think that much of their struggles are new. Listen, I was raised by my grandmother. I was a teenager, and she was 70-something years old. And she would tell me something, I'd say, you're just old. And I didn't say that to her face, or she would have slapped the snot out of me. But uh, uh, um, if, if you're watching via streaming, don't listen to that. That's the way I thought. But you don't understand. And I remember, and I can't remember if it was my granny or someone else who was real old. <laughs> and they said, Neil, you got all this energy and you're thinking, thinking about girls. And you think that somehow that your temptations are new. How do you think you got here? 
How do you think your parents got here and their parents and their parents? All this is old stuff. We may not have had the technology that you have today, but I tell you what, we understand the basic nature of human condition. And we know the principles to help us through it. That's why we need each other. I don't know how young pastors ever make it in ministry without a mentor. You'll be torn to pieces by attitudes and problems and even politics within churches. I'm so grateful that we don't have to deal with that here. In fact, many young ministers don't make it because they become victims from their own people. I'm so grateful that I had older men in my life who added to my life. Jim Hamrick, who helped to found this church, he showed me how to be patient and look at the long haul. Bill George was my pastoral mentor when Pam and I first got married. He demonstrated how we should treat your church staff and your leaders. Dr. Reginald Barnard was my theological mentor. He taught me how to think past one's cultural upbringing and conditions. Dr. William Lane was a professor who gave me confidence in the Scripture because he was a New Testament scholar and could translate 13 ancient languages. And yet he held fast to the Scriptures. Then I consider our own Clyde Morris, who tried to teach me how to use my time wisely. He's still trying, and I'm still working at it. But I'm better than I was. I receive a great deal of joy in my relationship with you as individuals and as a congregation. I love our church staff. I learn from them. And when I'm away, I love that you as a church don't miss a beat. Because your heart's right. I enjoy listening to Adam preach and watching him grow as a man, as a husband, as a father, and as a minister. This is how Christian discipleship and growth works. We need each other. I know that there are some who consider themselves loners. I'm not trying to change you. I don't want you to be an extrovert if you're an introvert. That isn't the point. The question is, how are you doing in your spiritual growth and discipleship and Christ-likeness alone? Proverbs 13:20 says, "Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm." 
1 Corinthians 15 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins bad, a good morals. If that is true, then what Paul is telling Timothy is also true. Good companies who have a pure heart, who want to glorify God, they can help us. Spiritual growth requires a company of others who have the same coal and a pure heart to be more like Christ. It is not optional. We're supposed to stay away from foolish and ignorant speculations. Why? Number one, they're false. Number two, they're unproductive. What is God's purpose for my life? If not to make me more like Christ. And how does that happen? I'm more like Christ because I married a godly person. I'm more like Christ because my children made me go to God a lot. But are we learning to respond Christ-likeness as we go through these personal relationships? That's what they're there for. God uses each other. The night before he was crucified, he was praying to his father. And he said this, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. Did you hear that? You don't belong to this world any more than Jesus did. Because he's placed his spirit within us. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And just as you have sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Pursue the truth of God's word. Let it sanctify you and make you holy. You've got to pursue it. That's the reason we hide God's word in our hearts so that we may not sin against him. People are all... Offering, offering, often look at the church and they're looking for a pastor who's engaging with new ideas. If you're here for the first time, you need to know that we don't try a lot of new ideas. Not because we're old-fashioned but because we believe that God's Word is sufficient to give us understanding of what counts in life. We do speak about moral and cultural issues. But 
but we don't don't convolute a nation of men with the kingdom of God. We open the scriptures. We try to make them understandable. Because the Holy Spirit uses the scriptures to bring us to himself. And to make us more Christ-like. That is the end game for us. It is by his death and his resurrection that he made it possible that we can be whole again. Whole again. Also in our relationship with him. We're not supposed to be quarrelsome. Though we love the truth, we don't love fights. Maybe you've been to churches where people love fights. We talked about that last week. But the true minister of God is not licking his chops to have a theological fight with anyone. We deal with disagreements because disagreements separate us. Unnecessary disagreements and words that follow cause harm. We're to be kind and loving. We're supposed to be able to teach. But to be able to teach, we must be teachable and not a know-it-all. We as a congregation are not interested in learning more stuff. I know some people are troubled by the things that they don't understand. Brother Hamrick used to say, I'm more troubled by the things that I do understand. Because I see in Scripture what I don't see in my life, and that troubles me. I know the way I'm supposed to be. And yet I struggle to be that which the Scripture says I should be. Our sermons are not made for you to remember every point. Our messages and our worship services are put us into the presence of God so that we will want to change. We see Him. I used to get discouraged when people didn't remember what I used to say each week. But now I'm discouraged if I don't see us growing week after week after week in our relationship with Christ. Are we patient when we're wrong? Do we have a forgiving spirit when we are wrong? Are we gentle when we correct others? You see, gentleness is the, the demeanor behind the truth. Because our opponents are people who don't understand the gospel. They hear more how we say than what we say. 
And yet someone who is belligerent toward the gospel, they may look at gentleness and kindness as weakness until they get away from the the heat of the argument. And then they begin to remember there was a different spirit in the presentation of the love of Christ. You know what? You might be able to out-argue a Christian, but you can't out you can't forget the spirit of Christ if that's what we have. Some of us here are on a spiritual journey and we long for something real. You will not be won by arguments, but you will be won by the spirit of Christ in an individual or a disciple or a minister. At first, you think this is weakness. But love wins arguments. Don't you want to find rest for your soul that's in turmoil? You're just in turmoil all the time. Well, Jesus has an invitation for you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that what this country needs? A rest for the soul? Aren't you tired of being angry all the time? Jesus offers an answer to that. Would you come to him and find rest for your soul? Let's pray. Father, give our church a spirit an attitude that was in Christ Jesus who humbled himself to the cross. Let it not be said that any person associated with this church has a spirit of quarrelsomeness or contention or anger that will drive people away from Christ. And Father, I pray for those who are on the journey that they would see that. And they would hear the truth in love. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.